the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your favorite teams and leagues, The Athletic delivers everything you need in every sports story that matters. Download the app, follow your favorite teams, and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad-free content. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash track. Here's the game plan today and for the rest of the week. It is, of course, the NFL Week 1 finally upon us. Scott and I broke down tons of numbers on this, and it's generally from a positional standpoint, but certainly there's some team numbers, some league numbers, some average salaries, all that good stuff built into a big piece that's posted on spotrack.com right now. We're going to break down some of the finer notes of that and uh, an interesting story to start us off here as well. Scott, welcome back to the show. It's an all football show, of course. We'll get back to the NBA stuff probably next week, I would imagine. And then really it's Major League Baseball postseason right upon us as well. So we'll have plenty of number crunching situations across the rest of the sports. But for today, it's NFL only. You want to start with this weird Tom Brady piece? <laughs> Do you have a chance and to I, read this thing? I, I did. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. Okay. So look, we're a numbers show. <laughs> okay. And, and generally that's pretty one tracked, but this is, these are the numbers we generally don't crunch on spot track, but if you haven't seen this piece, and I, I, I found it on Yahoo, I have no idea where it origined from. It looks like it's it's an interview that he gave where where a lot of these networks are pulling quotes out of it. And I, by the way, I agree with him as well, Scott. So let me tee it up here quickly, and then you can have at it. Basically, Tom Brady was asked about the COVID situation and many of the changes in football. And one of the questions came to about the situation where many players in the league have changed their jersey number this year, the number on their back. And Tom was not shy about his discern for this situation. And why don't you, Scott, why don't you fill us in as to why he's mad and why we think it's justified? Yeah, he's mad because defensive players that have changed their number from, say, 56 to 9. When he's watching film, he's at a disadvantage because now he is having to calculate in his mind who that player is on the fly because the numbers have changed. And the, the NFL came out you know, in this offseason saying that anyone could be any number. It didn't matter if you were an offensive lineman or a linebacker. You could pick whatever number you want to be. And I've got a problem with it just as much as he does, because from a fan standpoint, (laughs) you know, I I know that there are certain categories for wide receivers or linebackers or offensive linemen. And I gravitate towards that when, you know, when, when you're watching a game and you see, Oh, 56, I know that's a linebacker. I know what he's doing. This just makes it harder for, you know, some fans that are just getting into the NFL and now you have to tell, you know, young kids, oh, they can pick any number that they want. Maybe they maybe they're going to understand it a little bit better, but from a ref standpoint, now it, you've gone from I know that this player was this to, you know, it, it could be the number 9 or the number 27 on a linebacker and that 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 I think that's going to cause some issues 
from a calling the game standpoint for the yeah. refs because they, they're so used to, you know, if a cornerback or a safety has, you know, number 25 and they're used to it being something else in a certain category, you know, they may throw the flag on accident or call the wrong player for the wrong. I, I, there's just so many issues outside of what Tom's gripe is with the, yeah. uh, you know, studying film and knowing what player is what. I think there's a lot, a lot of other issues besides that. And too. you can, you like can tack said. on broadcasting becomes a little bit more complicated, which is, you know, first world problem. And then of course, the other, the other side of it with the fan, Scott, which is more jerseys that have to be bought. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, right. if you have a Jaden Smith 54, now it's a nine. Look, the, the Brady stuff of this is why I wanted to bring it up, though, specifically because it is interesting and it is something that, you know, this isn't going to affect Justin Herbert, right? This isn't going to affect somebody who's been in the league for a cup of coffee. This is going to affect Rodgers and Brady and, and the guys that have been doing this and have routine. And nobody likes the routine to have to change, especially 20 years in which is what Brady is, you know, upset about here. Look, I, I, I've been able I, to go I back. I disagree with that. I think Herbert actually in the, you know, as the years progress, if I think this sort of opens up Pandora's box to a certain extent. If it's allowed and, and more. Yeah. If, if it's allowed from a year to year basis. So say you're a defense and you really want to play mind games with these quarterbacks. Every now. year. All right. I'm a linebacker. I'm yeah. going to go with 12 this year, and then I'm going to go with 77, and then I'm going to go with 34 yeah. in the third year. You know, if you really want to get into the gamesmanship, well, let me let me put it back on you this way, Scott, because you're right that that is the approach you could take, and it could be a real factor in in slowing down some of these offenses. But isn't it a bit about the culture of sports, right? Isn't this a solution to isn't it this an anti-analytical approach, <laughs> right? Right? Like, yeah, if it I, makes it yeah. harder or makes it inconsequential to watch some video in this regard and break down somebody's, you know, Brady makes a specific comment about how he he's the ones calling out blocking patterns for his running backs who are generally positioned next to him in shotgun, and if he's used to being able to say, you know, thirty-two or whatever. Now it's going to have to change. He's going to have to do a double take, and it's going to be, it's going to be a lot more thinking for him on the field, a lot more thinking for his other ten players in the field, and it's just going to complicate things. But I, I, I guess Scott, a, it's such an offensive league anyway. Don't the defense deserve, a, you know, shouldn't we throw them a bone here and there every now and then? Do you think that the league even anticipated this when when they were when they were seeing the dollar signs and allowing these players to re up it from a marketing standpoint? Do you think anybody in that room was smart enough to get to this point, Scott? They they probably were and probably brought it up. But when they were brainstorming, the, the dollar signs <laughs> for jersey sales probably outweighed the the the, the, the impact minority of, the game, right. of people saying, you know, this is going to be an issue. And, and, you know, we're so you bring up a good point with being so analytical yeah. now with all the cameras and the AI and everything. Now you have to write in rules and make sure that you're compensating for that. The linebacker could be number eight now, as opposed to having this range of numbers, you know. But I guess my point, Scott, is that there is so much tape. There is so much. You're right. The cameras are everywhere. You can see everything now. I mean, you can you can 
you can break down the X's and O's essentially as if you're in that defense's room, you know, uh, on a play-by-play basis. That's there's companies, you know, like PFF who literally do this for a living. It's all available there. So if this little thing every year, every now and then, maybe it's not every year, maybe it's every couple of years, right? If this little thing throws that off or makes that more complicated, I don't think I don't think there should be a huge gripe about it. I, I get that it is, it is more difficult for Brady and he's welcome to complain about it. But if I'm the NFL, I'm saying too bad on this one. If I'm you're right, too if bad. you are the NFL, you're saying so what? Because we want the the dollar signs for jersey sales and everything like that. And then on top of it, I guess you are throwing a bone to the defense yeah. a little bit, like I said, because if if you are smart, if you are a incoming rookie, I'm going to change my number every year because Tom Brady is used to JJ Watt or TJ Watt or whoever being this specific number. And they know to just spit out that number to watch number 56, watch that. They know who it is. And if you start throwing a different Jersey every year, that is a Jersey number now times as many players on the defense of 32 different teams that they're going to have to start remembering numbers because that's what the quarterback and these other players associate. It's like in NASCAR, you associate a a driver with a number. And when that driver goes to a different number, like Kurt Busch is going to 2311, he's going from number one to 45. Now you have to remember he's 45 and not one. Now it's a similar situation when, with the NFL now with changing these numbers, because now they're, you're going to have to take that extra 30 seconds to 45 seconds in your mind to realize what number and who that is. That's a good point. And by, and by the way, it is not simple to change your number. I believe one of the stipulations is you have to buy out all the remaining inventory on your previous number. So, so if Tom Brady were to change his number to 10 next year, and that's never going to happen, he would have to buy out every existing non-sold Tom Brady 12 jersey that, that existed. So it's very, very expensive. And many of these players had to do that. So it's not something that's going to be as frequent as you're saying, Scott, but you're right. From a competitive standpoint, as much as possible is going to be a small percentile change, you know, difference, more difficulty for this offensive breakdown. Yeah, but I wonder how much... How much does a team say, all right, we're, we're, we'll play the game. We're, we're going to buy out that number for the competitive advantage on the defense if it does actually make a difference, even if it's a, a little bit uh, more. But it, it's an interesting caveat that may be bigger than we anticipated or it may be nothing. It's probably nothing. But the fact that Brady says it, Brady doesn't say, say a lot. He doesn't. So when he gets animated like this and has very poignant points, it's definitely a real problem for him. I wonder if I promise you teams in the NFC South are watching, you know what I mean? And reading this as well and thinking to themselves, well, if this is one edge we can have over this guy, right? After 22 seasons, let's do as much of this as possible. But you're right. It's probably going to be a small little thing. Anyway, interesting little uh, tidbit that popped up today amidst the transactional hell that we're in, Scott, which is NFL cut down day and a load of other work this time of year in terms of plenty of off seasons. But look, we're here. We're two days away from the real deals. Tom Brady and his against the Dallas Cowboys. We have done 
too much work (laughs) 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 on breaking down really every position in terms of how they look from a team and a league standpoint heading into week one and really no more. I mean, the numbers that we've run, Scott, are already deprecated for in a lot of cases, unfortunately, yeah. because it's such a fluid situation. But there's at least a snapshot look at how things kind of unfold across the league. I, many of you will read this on .com. Just what, what jumps out at you here, Scott, so we can kind of globalize and summarize here to start? The extreme highs and lows between teams in certain positional categories and the fact that we added in the draft origin of these, I I, I made notes as I was reading through this and, you know, you can really see where certain positions flourish in certain rounds or, or lack thereof. Um, so it's interesting to see the breakdown from this. I think that is probably one of the most interesting, uh, pullouts from this. So if we just talk starting lineup, so we did a tweet recently, Scott, where we broke down basically every player that made a 53 man roster initially and where they were drafted. So we had, you know, 1100 plus players and their draft position. So there was a lot of pushback and, and people asking for more specificity with that. Right. So. We now have what we think are projected starting lineups for week one. We ran the same metric. The results to me are pretty darn similar. I'm look, obviously you're going to have a bit more opportunity to make a roster as an undrafted free agent because you're not limited to, you know, 32 picks in round seven. So you're going to have, you know, a lot more undrafted players than you're going to have rounds four, five, six, seven. It's just how it works. But there's a lot to, lot to be said here, right? So the draft breakdown is interesting because it goes from, you know, highest in round one down to round seven, which you would assume. So real quick, running from one to seven, round one is at 215 starting uh, players. Round two, 159. Round three, 118. Round four, 82. Round five, 69. Round six, 54. Round seven, 31. And then down to UDFA's 183, which I find is really interesting because out of the tweet that you did, that's about 43% of the UDFA's on the active 53 are starters. So uh, I think that's pretty impressive for guys that were not drafted. Right. And, you know, 183 out of, you know, that almost equates to round five through round seven as a whole. It's super interesting. And and look, we did this kind of draft origin breakdown for every single position. So, uh, you know, all the starting quarterbacks, all the starting running backs, all the starting wide receivers, et cetera, all the way through to kickers, punters, all that stuff. So it's it's a comprehensive piece. And just looking at that metric alone, Scott, kind of gives you a snapshot of where that where that position is right now, because there is a there's a handful of positions that don't have the most round, you know, round one players. I'm looking at a few. Obviously, running back is one of those. Now everything is squeezed around three, round four for, for the running backs, as many people have, uh, you know already know. You'd be you'd be surprised probably to find out that. And look, we're doing four wide receivers per team here. So plenty of wide receivers out there. Yeah, only twenty five of them are first rounders. There's more second rounders than first rounders right now. 
So there's, uh, in fact, more UDFAs than first rounders in terms of starting wide receivers. So, and the same goes with tight ends. Everything's squeezed into round two, three, and four with tight ends as well. So it's a, it's a very interesting look at, at where importance lies just from draft capital alone. But then when you start to break down some of these numbers, cap, combined average salary, and you start to look at the percentages of cap that are allocated per position, that's one of the first things I did at the top of this piece, Scott, is I identified the team that has the most cap percentage allocated this year by a position, right? So if we're talking just offense and defense, the, the offense, I'm going to tell you right now, completely surprised me. It shocked me. The Browns have almost 61% of their cap allocated to the offensive side of the ball. That that floored me because I would have thought they'd, they'd spend most of their off se- last two off seasons up in the defensive side of things. But clearly, the, you know, with the offensive line and the tight ends and the, and the wide receivers that they've acquired, that's what it's about. It's been about pumping big time cap into that side of the field, whereas they've got a decent amount of rookies and low paid free agents to the other side. Other than that, everything kind of makes sense, right? The Seahawks are the quarterback team. The Titans are the running back team. Your Browns are there for tight ends. Like I mentioned, here's one. <laughs> I, I had to run these numbers a bunch of times. I, I did not see this one coming either, Scott. And I, I want to talk about it a little bit. I'm pleasantly surprised to find out that the team that has the most cap percentage allocated to offensive line is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Wow. We sat here for months and talked about how the the Bengals put Joe Burrow down a suicide trail and the Jets did that year after year with all of their quarterbacks. And quite frankly, the Browns did that for a lot of years as well with with many of their number one overalls. I'm not here to tell you that that the Jaguars have the best offensive line in football. That's far from true. But they, they were not shy from a financial standpoint. They franchise tagged a player who didn't deserve it. They kept players who probably shouldn't have been kept. They added via trade. They added via free agency. They added via draft. They did all the things we, we, we would have wanted them to do. I just don't think that's a good unit, unfortunately. But to see that there, at least that, that they've made an effort financially, that's got to make Trevor Lawrence and his agent at least somewhat happy, right? <laughs> Yeah, you would think so. Yeah. You just you have to hope that the efficiency of those players that That's you right. signed is going to, in the long run, help Trevor Lawrence not become a Joe Burrow. Yeah. Defensive stuff, it's pretty easy. The Chiefs own the D-line. The Cardinals own the linebackers. They added and drafted accordingly there. The Patriots own the secondary. That Patriots defense, folks, uh, if you own them in fantasy, you're going to be very happy about it, I think. I really do. That's They... Uh, they put up some smoke and mirrors last year because of how many opt-outs they had. That is a well-paid, well-experienced, well-coached defense. They're going to they're gonna make some hell for some teams this year, no question about it. And the numbers bear that out, by the way. And I'm going to give you another, another number down the road here that's going to shock you. It shocked me, and I'm looking at these things, and I'm looking at this player specifically all offseason, and I didn't know this fun fact, so that's coming. That's a greenie tease for you, Scott. Um, <laughs> starting lineups. If we're just talking about like total numbers, did the are, did the teams there surprise you? Why don't you throw those at us? Yeah, so total cap allocation, you got the Browns for t- yeah for the offense and the Bills for the defense. I, I, I'm not, I can't say I'm super surprised no. by those. You know, the Browns, they're they're sort of all in. The the Bills yeah. are all in with what they have. The fact that they have as much money on that defense, but a lot of that is because they have extended or, you know, 
have signed their own guys yeah. to, um, you know, help with the cap, but bring back guys and keep that core that they signed in all those free agents, you know, a couple years ago. So uh, I can't say I'm too surprised by seeing them. Let me put it this but, way, right, man? Because the three teams that own almost all of the top totals, no matter how we slice it from a cap, from an AAV, from a cash standpoint, it's Browns, Bills, Bucks. You know what that right. smells like? Confidence. <laughs> yeah, it's those are right. teams that recklessly spent this offseason. Those are teams that re- that spent calculating, right? It with the Bucks, it was about retaining. The Bills had a lot of retaining and a little bit of adding, and the Browns didn't really extend too many outside of like a Chubb. They they kind of brought in a couple of free agents to add to that bill, but they were already pretty well spent into into last year. We just knew they were a year away last year. A lot of people think this is the year for that team. So they're spending like it. I'm not surprised at all by the teams here. And I'm not surprised at all by the numbers. The Bills being 210 in combined AAV, that's high. I mean, it's like 15 million more than any other team in football. So they have a lot of extended contracts now on that roster. You, You wonder how long that can last. They are clearly in the prime of their window right now based on this past offseason. But I'm not surprised that they're there. That's for sure. Yeah, but that that also includes Josh Allen's Bingo. extension in there. So that that inflates that quite a bit. Uh, what I'll also say is, you know, the Bills being the highest cap on defense, it, it, it's a difference for them because you remember back when they spent so much money on bringing one player and Mario <laughs> Williams in. Now this is actually 71 million spread across multiple players yep. to in all facets of the defensive game. So kudos to these teams. Be, they're spending, but in some instances, like you said, with the Bucks and the Browns and in addition to the Bills, they're spending it in areas that are of need. And like we've talked about till we were blue in the face this this summer with the Bucks, they're deep in all categories. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's a really great point because you're right. I I bet you if we run this for a lot of years, every every now and then you got one team that sits in this top three or this top two that just simply doesn't belong. And it's because they made one huge, gigantic, reckless free aging signing. You know what I mean? The Albert yep. Hainsworth years of Washington back in the heyday, those kind of things. That's not what these teams are about. This is these teams were about retaining starters, adding depth, keeping depth in a lot of cases. And look, these Browns numbers don't even include Baker yet. So we may be looking at this list next year, Scott, this time next year and seeing really big numbers out of Cleveland if they love their roster and they've extended Baker Mayfield. So it's uh, more to come there for sure. Uh, anything else here with the, with the overall look or should we start to break down some of these fun facts? Uh, the Steelers, Jets and the Dolphins being low for the combined AAV is kind of interesting. You know, you think of the Steelers and, you know, you've got Big Ben. They, they had some... Players on the defensive side, I mean, you brought up J.J. Watt, or not J.J. Watt, T.J. Yeah. Watt, uh, with his potential extension if that ever does come. You know, the Jets and the Dolphins is interesting. And the Dolphins, I have some notes when we get down to some other positional areas where, you know, the Dolphins jumped off the, the page at me be, with how much they've spent in a certain category. Mm-hmm. And it made me scratch my head because I was, you know, the, sort of putting the cart before the horse in some instances there. You mean how they have almost no money into their offensive line, but the almost the all of the money into wide receivers? Is that what you're yes. about to tell us? Yes. Yeah. That absolutely. jumped off the page for me too. They are 
they are looking to score points. They are looking to hope Tua can just and, avoid pressure and, and make magic happen. And, um, and that was my that was my <laughs> other my other note that I wrote was Tua quarterback question mark question mark. It, you know, it's going to be the guy to really sling the ball. Is you know, I, I still am. Every so often in an NFL pod that I'm listening to, there's still those rumblings of Deshaun Watson oh, to the God. Miami. They're Dolphins. the favorites, Scott. And it's like, I wish the saga would be over, yeah. but I'm I'm looking forward to the season starting so that we can finally see if Tua is going to be the Tua that the Dolphins are expecting, yeah. or are we going to see the Tua that, some of the media and some of the fans may expect that he is not the guy moving forward. And I, I know you have to take it with a grain of salt because he only has had so many games under his belt, but I'm looking forward to that saga moving forward after what we've gone through for the last I, seven. Months. I got to tell you, man, I think, I think the, the question mark QB one is maybe the most important must see TV of, of this entire football season. Because it's not just Tua. Tua's at the top of that list. But Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, yeah. Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, all these teams, all, yeah, all these teams that could be in the running for a Rodgers next year, for a Deshaun Watson next year, for a, you know, a, a high-drafted rookie. There's a lot of what-ifs. And a lot of these teams are good. Miami's good. Miami's not great. They're good. The Colts are good. right? The Raiders are good. The, I think the Broncos can be good. But... If if QB one is their only is is the one thing really holding them back, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to find out how they go about doing that because good teams are going to be drafting fifteen to twenty five, you know, and that's just not where you get your quarterback generally speaking. So is somebody really going to give up three firsts for Deshaun? Three firsts for a thirty seven year old Aaron Rodgers if that's still on the table, you know, is Kirk Cousins on the move? I the 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 question mark quarterbacks. There's no there's no doubt about it. Are, are going to dominate this year from fantasy world, from real world, from a, a standing situation. So you're, you're right. It's about Tua. And I think we buried the lead on, on Miami. We don't even need to say it again, Scott. I don't think they're built properly. Right. <laughs> Let me just put I it that way. It. I don't think they're built properly. I think you're right. They, they, they fell into this quarterback situation. And by the way, that's probably why they're they're identifying a need to go and get a player like Deshaun, who can bail them out right now. Tua's just not experienced enough to bail them out, nor is he is he gifted enough. Just naturally, you know, big, strong, powerful, elusive, like a Ben could do. Ben bailed out Pittsburgh for a decade in his first ten years because he was just just this mammoth who who players just bounced off of. That's just not going to be Tua, but that's how this team is built right now. They're built like an old Steelers team. And by the way, their lead running back is Miles Gaskin. So it's all it's all passing game. But can if he can stand up for more than four seconds, it'll be a miracle with how this team is built. Any other team? That's that's probably a pretty interesting way to approach this because we built this as a positional breakdown. But you're right. The storylines that come out of it are, are how the teams are reflected in those positions. Are there any other team position situations that kind of jumped off the page for you, Scott? Um, the, the running backs, you know, the fact that the saints and the Browns had 
over two, uh, twenty million dollars in AAV uh, combined AAV. I found that kind of well, interesting. Let me give you some breaking news because I just got an update that they released Latavius Murray. So there you go. They 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 knew it was too much too, Scott. So you can knock off about five million from them, and they they're normalized down into the into the low teens yeah. now. Okay. Uh, by the way, that's not an accident. <laughs> I, that, that, that's a player I had on the roster bubble last December because of his cap, because of the, the kind of cash flow that he had been paid and his age. It's just a, it's just a growing theme. So, so you can take them out of this conversation, which probably makes you feel a little better about it, right? Yeah, that does. Especially with knowing what that team is, you know, uh, the, the questions with the quarterbacks, you know, is Jameis going to... Uh, be the guy are they going to have to go to Taysom at some point you know I, I was looking at some of the odds and you know interception odds for quarterbacks and as I was looking at them you know Jameis jumped off the page at me but there's no way someone is going to want to throw any money on Jameis having the most interceptions this year because he may only play five games and then be yanked if he's throwing interceptions, same, same situation with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, how many games is he actually going to be the starter? Whereas you have to pick a starter. That's most likely going to be there for the longevity of a season. Yeah. So uh, the fact that, you know, they have so much money while they did have so much money allocated to that wide receiver or running back core jumped out. Same with the Browns, especially when, you know, I, I understand that they, extended their running backs. Well, let's, let's they talk have about a lot of, it. Let's talk about it a little bit because isn't this a bit of a case test? Oh, absolutely. Right? I mean, this is now a real two-man army in a it situation is. where most teams won't even pay one. But th- they've identified the fact that maybe their quarterback has some limitations and these two running backs are outstanding. So rather than just punt on one, which most teams do, uh, most teams punt on both. Let's be honest. Most teams aren't paying the twelve million for Chubb. So, do you, are you not in favor of that approach, Scott? Because it's just not the way teams should appro- should approach it anymore. Or should there be, should we allow for some of these situations to be flexible when the Browns kind of see it as uh, maybe an anomaly? Right. I'm I'm for it especially if it works out because it's sort of swinging the pendulum the other way instead of devaluing and just paying minimum guys or going with a one guy, like look at what happened in, in, uh, with the Panthers last year, bingo McCaffrey was their one guy. He goes down, then they have nothing else behind it. It's Whereas exactly right. If you Scott. go with the Brown situation, you have, instead of paying one guy, massive money, you have two guys, paying really good money and we're sort of going back to where the nineties were, where you had two running backs that you could offset. You could go, you know, split running backs in the back. You could go I formate. you could do whatever you wanted with them. And you're allowing yourself as the Browns to not only have two running backs, but you have all those weapons on the wide receivers and the tight ends they're, offense as a whole is balanced and they're they're paying for that balanced offense and I'm I'm really interested to see if it works because it's not just the the Kansas City Chiefs throw in throw it out there you've got all these weapons on the wide receivers and and the speed and maybe that one running back or no running backs or it's just running back by committee like in in the 
jet situation where they're going to have like three running backs that they're just going to rotate. I'm really interested to see if the balanced financial approach works in their uh, instance this year. I, I completely agree. And, and your point about McCaffrey is dead on. You can, you can go Barkley with that. You can go uh, Melvin Gordon. There's plenty of cases where if you're putting all your eggs into one basket, both financially and as a roster, you know, building structure, there's just too much risk. This is not a protected position. This is a very injury prone position. So why wouldn't this Brown situation, if you can find it, right? If you had they acquired Cream Hunt kind of on a fluky, terrible situation from Kansas City, but they they drafted Nick Chubb in the second round, that in the middle of the second round, kind of right where you want to be with elite running backs. If you can get him out of the first, maybe if you can get him in the first, you'd, you'd rather. But let me throw this number at you with Nick Chubb, Scott. And I bet a lot of people would feel better about the entire situation. His guaranteed money runs through 2023, okay? And really not even. I mean, they could get out of this thing pretty easily after 2022. But let's just assume he's there over the next three years, which is $28 million cash. Tack that on to the three years of rookie contract that he that he played out at $6 million, And you're talking about $34 million for six years of Nick Chubb. Who's not going to sign up for that? That's less than $6 million a year for Nick Chubb. Uh, if the, if that's the accounting that we have to live with from a running back standpoint, and the guy still makes you know thirty five forty million dollars, why would anybody go the Zeke Elliott route or the Saquon Barkley route, which is you draft a player in a position that you have to pay him? You know what I mean? Right. Like, the second you draft Saquon second and Zeke fourth, they're getting forty to fifty million dollar contracts. There's no negotiating that down. But if you're but if you're drafting them where we all know you should be, second, third, fourth rounders. You can cost control their extension, and this is the kind of balance you get. And you can allow yourself to get a legitimate RB2 or RB1A at you know 75% of that price. So I don't think there's a there's a person in that Browns organization that 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 is worried one iota that they have $20 million plus invested per year in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt because it is a bailout process for Baker Mayfield. And it is a huge offensive jump for them and an advantage that they have over a lot of teams in this league right now. Absolutely. I've got another team that sticks out. Let's if you want it. to go that route, let's do it. So when I looked at the offensive line and the defensive lines, I found it interesting that the Eagles are at the top of both of these lists. So the Eagles have spent in the trenches as we've been talking about so you got to hope that in the long run, that's going to help Jalen Hurts or sure. Gardner Minshew or whoever is. It, Joe Flacco. Don't leave him out, Scott. <laughs> but I, I find it interesting that they, they've actually spent to be in the top three in defensive line and offensive line, which is I'd have to go back and look, you know, if this is a rarity or not. But that jumped out that they were both. So let me uh, let me spin off that a little bit because you're absolutely right. The two teams that we had to talk about quite a bit this offseason because of their cap situation were the Eagles and the Saints, correct? Both in veritable cap hell, both a lot of carnage, a lot of damage to get themselves into cap neutral situations and then some. Right. The fact that Philadelphia specifically. I mean, honestly, the Saints still have a hell of an offensive line as well, but they really did gut that defense pretty pretty badly. Um, they were just really too far gone to get back. 
But the fact that the, that Philadelphia has both lines established and really didn't have to do too much. They lost Jason Peters, who's 40, <laughs> you know, and uh, everybody else really stayed intact. I, I think you're, you're dead on there, Scott. That gives Jalen Hurts as good a chance as any of these young quarterbacks right now. They they drafted heavily at the weapon position. They did have a couple of running backs that have been worth a damn. And not, not excellent, but solid. But their trenches are set. So are they going to give up a ton of points? Absolutely. I don't think their secondary is even close to prepared for an NFL NFL action right now. But they're gonna they're gonna win games, especially later in the season when that kind of stuff really matters. Because they Howie Roseman and God bless me does this every year when he made his cap casualties, when he made his trades. He made sure that nobody touched those, you know, the left and right side of those lines, Scott, because that's how you rebuild on the fly. You keep those ex- experienced players intact. You pay where you have to pay to make sure that they're happy. And you, you, it's so easy to replace a weapon right now, right? It's so easy to replace a, a li- an off-ball linebacker right now. It's even getting easier to replace safeties and cornerbacks in a lot of situations. But man, not those lines. You've got to establish that. There's got to be consistency within your system. I, I give him a lot of credits out. I, I think it's an underrated point that you bring up here. And I wonder if that bears out at all this season on the field. Yeah. And, and to add to that, that, I mean, that's them paying offensive line and the defensive line and yeah. paying for a quarterback that doesn't exist on their roster. All right, let's talk about it because <laughs> it's probably my favorite fun fact of the entire piece. So we ran the numbers on all the quarterbacks, of course. And when we're talking about just cap allocation, correct? How much cap teams have invested in all of their quarterbacks on their roster? That range is $3.7 million in Philly, which is Flacco, Minshew, and Hertz, up to Seattle, which is $33.8 million for Russell and his backups. Okay. That $33.8 million, which is the most any team is, has allocated to their quarterbacks, is exactly the dead cap number that Philly is taking on for Carson Wentz. So that's the, the elephant in the room for Philadelphia. That's why you're going to see them give up a ton of points in the secondary. That's why they're not going to be able to rush the passer too well. You know, That's why they're going to have some deficiencies at the wide receiver position and possibly at the quarterback position. But that is just... You want to put it in context at how big that dead cap hit was. I mean, everybody with with any kind of eye and expertise in this kind of stuff, Scott, the financials of sports, nobody ever thought we were going to get here. That a true pre-June 1st trade of Carson Wentz would allow the Eagles to take on that kind of dead cap hit. And it's it's so unprecedented. It's just, it's nuts. No team in football is 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 spending that from a cap perspective on all of their quarterbacks right now. It's nuts. Yeah, very nuts. And, <laughs> and your other notes in here are the the Rams dead cap to the quarterbacks yep. and Detroit. They're all from quarterbacks being traded, yep. which up until this season was a rarity. So the fact that teams are realizing how and in a down cap year where <laughs> we've been down that road, but teams are realizing, I think, and getting financially smarter, knowing that they can make the cap as fluid as they want. They're not afraid and at all. They're not afraid. It's sort of like in the NBA, we did, we all thought $44 million was never going to get moved. And <laughs> we were all wrong on that. Yeah. These contract, those contracts are movable no matter what they are. And so now just because a 
quarterback may have an ungodly, you know, dead cap. Might see it next year at Matt Ryan, Scott. Might see it, might yeah, see it with Kirk right. Cousins next year. Might see it with Kirk Cousins. Well, I think, and, and, and it's kind of refreshing knowing that a team realizes that they made a mistake and we're just going to rip the Band-Aid off, make the trade, suck it up, take that dead cap and move on so that we can just, you know, move forward with our franchise and, and if we have to make certain financial decisions for the short term so that we can well let's let's extrapolate that a little bit and we can finish on this as well too um it's twofold right scott because you're right there is a the reason it didn't happen before this is pride there's no question about it so if a gm drafted a guy he's got to stick with that guy or he's gone that's just life right it's life as a gm that's not the case now. Now we've got some guys like, look at Arizona. My God, giving up on Rosen after literally a half a cup of coffee. So you're right. It's a, it's a different era with that quarterback position. It's so important that A, when you have it, you have to go all in on your roster. But B, when you don't have it, two things, right? A, we've, we've found that it's still tradable. Carson Wentz, I, fr- from every angle, that was a mess. The money the sideline stuff, the coaching stuff, the, the, his interactions with Hertz. It was all a, just a disaster, not to mention his play on the field. And he still got traded, right? He still got traded. Teams want the asset back. And and maybe this is the case with Philly. We don't know. but And it very well could be in Detroit, Scott. Not only do you get a little bit of trade asset back, but you probably get yourself to a position where you're bad immediately right away. So if you want to go and use those assets that you that you pulled back to go up into the draft and get your next quarterback, which is really the only way teams want to do this now, you know, the bad smaller market teams, this is an immediate way to that path. You get some added draft capital, you take on some dead cap, too bad, you're, you're about to be bad anyway, and you, you essentially have given yourself a ticket to tank. All things they want to do anyway. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I, I just think you're going to see more of it because of that exact right there. It's a it's well, the it, quickest, it's the straightest line to the top of the draft. And it goes, it goes to say, as we, as we, I brought up last week or the week before, the rookie scale has changed the way teams <laughs> yeah. really look at their assets because if they realize that they can, they'll they're willing to move off of Wentz or a Goff. Now I get golf is a different situation because they brought in Stafford. But the point I'm getting to is teams are willing to get out of these contracts with the quarterbacks immediately. And if it if they happen to end up in the top 10 of a draft, they'll they'll just go for another quarterback again because those quarterbacks, they know are team controlled for four years. They don't have to necessarily negotiate. A, a giant contract. They know it's four years plus the option plus franchise tags or whatever it may be. And they can reset fairly quickly in the landscape of the draft as it is right now. Look at Justin Fields, right? Right. Look at Justin Fields. What if they had tried to trade Trubisky last year before last season, Right. And, mm-hmm. and just get some capital back. You know you're going to be bad anyway. You know. Uh, do you think they regret Dalton after after figuring out that they that they were able to draft Justin Fields? 
Probably. It's a weird situation because that's a good team. Very. It's a good defense. Their running back took a step forward. Their wide receiver crew seems seems adequate. Their offensive line is an absolute dumpster fire. So they weren't ready for the quarterback, but the, the quarterback kind of fell into their lap draft-wise, right? But I, I, I'm interested to see that team specifically, and, I, and you bring up a great point with the offensive line because that's all I've heard about yeah. is the offensive line and if they throw fields in there. I'm curious to see if some of these teams that immediately start not doing so well, if the Chicago Bears start picking up the phone and it, as the trade deadline gets closer and Fields is the guy that's in there, if they start making some trades to bring in the an offensive lineman to do whatever they can to move forward because they do have the pieces around and they just don't have the pieces on the offensive line. I, I'm all for playing these kids. I want to see them play. I think the college game and the NFL game has really merged itself together to the point of where that's possible, except for this exact situation. It, and the same could have been said about Burrow. We did say it about Burrow last year this time, Scott. That, that team's not ready for Joe Burrow. And and it's, it's suicide to put him out there. I, I don't want this to happen to Justin Fields. I think he's a hell of an athlete. I think he's really got a chance. And just know who you are. I understand that that team's going to win some games. They're probably a playoff team because of their defense. And Andy Dalton's actually a pretty adequate guy in terms of getting you know regular season production. I, I know that that city and the national media is going to be pushing for Justin Fields after every Andy Dalton interception. I get it. I understand yes. how this stuff works right now. We're an on-demand dominated situation, but the right move is the Patrick Mahomes, this guy, the right move is for Matt Nagy to get to that front office and say, look, I give you all the credit in the world for making that draft pick. It was a phenomenal pick, but this roster isn't ready for that right now. It's a disservice to the bears and to him specifically to do that. Give me a chance with, with the rest of this team to, get, to give you the best 2021 we can give you, and let's let's work next offseason to build a system that's better for Justin Fields. They owe it to themselves to do that, and, and I'll finish on that, Scott. And I know you kind of agree based on what you just said, but I, I, that to me is one of the things I'm dying to see in 2021 is no Justin Fields. Yeah, but it, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the confidence. All right, man. Good stuff by you. We'll... Uh, We'll tweet out this piece in the morning, of course, and I'll have plenty of uh, fun facts going along with it. Good stuff on this, man. Thank you. Yep. All right. Thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription. And please uh, check out Spot Track Premium as well. If you hate the ads on our site, I get it. Um, spot Track Premium accounts. Gets rid of those ads. Gets you lots more features. Gets you some different filtration systems that Scott has built up for a lot of these views. A lot, more, a lot cleaner, more information, more data, more numbers. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast.